looking at aspects of the kingdom through the parables that Jesus taught us. Now in them, in these parables, Jesus gave us these, these pictures to help us better understand something that is beyond our comprehension. Forever, for the last 2,000 years, forever since, theologians have been pulling apart these parables because you can read it, you can see it at, and try and understand it at a very simple level, which, yes, even children understand this, but at the same time, the depth of it just goes on and on. And, and, and so I suppose what we try and do is, is dig a little bit deeper each time and, and so therefore get the deeper meaning of what uh, Jesus has for us in teaching us about the kingdom. I mean, how think about it. How on earth do you teach to humans something that is so complex as the kingdom of God? And so Jesus uses these pictures to help us understand. Now, many of these kingdom parables have an agrarian, agricultural background to them. Now, this is, this is an obvious advantage for those of us who have grown up uh, in or regularly visit rural areas. And so we can very readily connect to them and, and the lessons that Jesus gives us. Perhaps some of that is, uh, some of those of you who, who have lived most of your lives in a in an urban setting, might find it a little bit harder. But it's not that difficult to, to really to understand what Jesus is trying to say to us. Now, this particular parable of the growing seed is mentioned only in Mark. Now, in form, in imagery, this parable is, like I said, is, is another parable which is very simple. But in principle, and meaning it is very profound. And we have here just another display of the divine ability that Jesus had to be able to put great truths in simple language. It's another sign, it's another way that he displayed his true power and wisdom. Something so complex presented so simple. We should not be surprised of the principles that Jesus draws from nature. And Jesus loved to draw from nature to teach us deep spiritual truths. After all, he's the author of both of them, right? Both his word, his kingdom and all of nature, all, all of these have come from the same author. Now, the uncertain times in which we are living today have certainly shaken the confidence of many people, including those who profess to be believing Christians. We've had conversations and people are living in fear. It's interesting, isn't it, that uh, all it takes is a little bug to cause a pandemic a recession or two and suddenly all people and all the kingdoms of the world are looking rather shaky. It's all it takes. 
In times like this, it's good for us to reaffirm our belief, not in human ability and knowledge, but ultimately in God's sovereignty and power. Remember, the kingdom of God is not some physical place or realm, but it is a rule. It's a dominion where the Bible tells us that God is on the throne. And no matter what things appear like, he is still in control and things are playing out just as he told us in his word that they would. Hold that thought. Let's go into the parable and see what lessons we can learn from the process of the growing seed. First of all, the active part. Verse 26, the activity. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Now, it appears that this farmer is not too careful about his planting activity because he is simply scattering the seed. There is no mention here of preparation of the soil. He simply goes and chucks, randomly chucks the seed about. Anyway, this is what it sounds like, what it looks like. At least in this parable, there does not appear to be a great deal of effort on his part. But that should not diminish in any way the importance of the actual activity of sowing the seed, putting it out there. Now, it is not always like this, because we also know that those who go and sow, there is a certain amount of sacrifice attached to sowing. The psalmist said in Psalm 126 verse 5, he says, they sow in tears. Those that sow in tears will reap in joy. Let's be honest. Irrespective of the level, the, the level of effort that is involved here, there will be no harvest if no one is actually prepared to go and scatter the seed to sow. And there will be no food on the table There will be no bread at Woolies and Coles unless someone somewhere goes out there and puts the seed in the ground. And providentially, God God always has his people throughout history who have gone and done just that. The seed is his work. And we must be faithful to sow the seed as this is the only way that God has arranged for planting the kingdom in the midst of men. He is not going to do it through human power, through political manoeuvring, military conquest or through any other program that men and women come up with. He has chosen to do it slowly, patiently, gradually, 
through planting something as simple as a seed. So you and I must be faithful in our calling, in our task of continuing to sow. Our responsibility is to ensure that others hear the word. We are to be faithful in our public ministry to read God's word, preach God's word, share God's word, teach God's word. This responsibility God has given to men. Because Paul said, I planted, Apollo watered, but God caused the growth. From 1 Corinthians 3.6. Having said that, it is a little bit doctrinally questionable to speak of and, and split. Somehow says, that's God's part and this is our part. I don't I feel uncomfortable doing that, of of human and divine responsibility. Yes, it's true. Jesus did tell us, go and make disciples of all nations. But there is also a, a truer sense in which ultimately everything, everything is God's doing. Jesus did say, I will build my church. While reflecting on his work in later years, the the great reformer Martin Luther once said, and I quote, he said, I simply taught, preached and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. Indeed, it was while I slept, he said, obviously alluding to this parable, that God reformed his church, I did nothing, the word did it all. Not a tremendous truth, eh? Very humbling. So that's the active part. What about, that's a good leading into the passive aspect, verse 27. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. I just saw some symbols there about, you know, I love that. Having sowed the seed in the soil, he returns home and this farmer, he just goes about living his normal life, which involves what you and I do, sleeping and getting up day in, day out, that's how we live our lives. It is an act of faith. The farmer doesn't seem to lose any sleep anxiously about what's happened to the seed. <gasps> the seed! He just trusts the process of growth. There is no comment made about him impacting the growing process in any way. There is no mention of him getting at the hose or the buckets and watering the plants, pulling weeds or protecting the seed from birds or anything else that might be, you know, taking the seed away from the elements. He doesn't return to the field every day to 
dig the seed and just checking it and so have you germinated yet? What is happening? He doesn't get discouraged when the next few mornings he looks out the window and the field is just as black as the day before. Doesn't get anxious, discouraged by saying, well, that was a waste of time. Nothing's happening. Because deep inside, as surely as the seed is there, something must be happening, even though he cannot see it. Also, we sow the seed of the, by preaching the gospel. Like the seed, God has constituted his word with inherent properties so that of its own accord, it has power to both convert the unbelieving and sanctify the saints. Sinclair Ferguson says, it possesses its own power to germinate and bear fruit. And the ultimate effect is wholly independent of man's efforts and care, however necessary these may be at times. And then God takes over and, and he empowers that proclaimed word. That seed, the, the gospel itself, is, as Paul said, the power of God for salvation. The power of God for salvation. The kingdom of God will grow because it is destined to. And yes, there are times when we can be so quickly over, be overcome by a sense of inadequacy. Yes, make, we make big mistakes. Put my hand to that. And, 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 and we carry the guilt for it. The truth is we are all frail and we all fail. I am better, much better at failure than success, I can tell you that. I'm a graduate in failure. But our frailty, our failings, will not be a barrier, and this should be an encouragement for all of us, will not be a barrier to the kingdom of God. It's not like God says, oh, Paul's messed it up again, the kingdom's got to stop. Stop all things! Paul's failed again! Huh? Big clap for Paul. Thanks, Paul. The whole road is blocked now because of you. The kingdom of God will grow regardless of us, in spite of us, simply because it is destined to. It is destined to, to grow because God is in control of the process. That is humbling, but isn't it liberating as well? Isn't it? 
The seed grows. But we don't know how. You know what? You don't have to know how. We don't have to. As we said last week, there is this quiet, hidden, uh, mysterious aspect to the seed, to, to the kingdom of God, a hiddenness about it. How many times preachers, including myself, preach the word, the word of God and there is little or no response from either saint or sinner, just a... Yeah? Glazed eyes. Yeah? Uh-huh. From a human standpoint, I have to be honest with you, it is palpable, you can feel it, you can sense, you can tell. It's also discouraging. And you go home and you hit your head on the wall and you say, Why? Why? Why are you doing this to me? That's wrong to be like that. Because a mysterious process, even though you cannot appreciate it, is taking place. This process is the sovereign work of God, often, often hidden from the view of man. I don't know how. Yet this is the process that God has used millions and billions of times over. For this reason, when you sow the seed, scatter the seed, give a word, just do it expecting, not in your own ability, but in God's doing, in his spirit being at work, Using that for his glory. And when we share, we have no control over the results. In fact, the results shouldn't actually be our worries because that is God's responsibility. Our duty is to sow. What happens after that It's in the hands of the Lord. Spurgeon, I'll quote him again, he once said, he said, we are not responsible to God for the souls that are saved, but we are responsible for the gospel that is preached. Don't add to it, don't subtract from it, don't change it, just share it. Autonomous, that is the next aspect uh, of this seed. Uh, verse 28, and this is what it says, verse 28, all by itself, all by itself. You haven't caught it, I'll say it again, all by itself. What does it say? The soil produces the corn. First the stalk then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. The, I'll say it again. The earth produces a crop all by itself. And, G, and Jesus uses a term um, from which we get our word, 
automatic. Just as the car changes gears all by itself, the seed, once sown in the soil, produces by itself. Automaton. It's, it's by itself. The seed will produce what is inherent in it. And we, we cannot dictate what form the seed will take. We can only recognise the result as being the, the product of God's marvellous work in and through it. Sadly, sadly, we take all of this for granted. A seed is a seed, so what? Now that modern science can take a seed apart, analyse its structure, they can do so much and so on and so forth. They, they, they can even create a perfect duplicate of that seed. And, and if you place this seed that is made in a lab beside a seed that is produced in nature, you won't be able to tell the difference. However, however, the difference appears when, when, when both seeds are planted on the ground and they are exposed to the elements, such as sun and the rain. The seed produced in nature will germinate and grow. The seed produced in the lab, what will happen? What do you think is going to happen? Something's going to rot, rot away, it will die. Nothing's going to happen. Why? Because science has learned how to make a seed, but science cannot replicate, reproduce life. Can't do it. Can't do it. And this is, this is the marvellous work of our Creator God. We rearrange chemicals, we move parts here and there and we say, wow, we you know, give people PhDs because of their research and their inventions. But only God creates life. Did you know that they've actually found seed inside... Uh, the tombs like the pyramids because these mummies, these kings and others who, who died, they needed, you know, they were travelling to the next life so they needed food. Can't just send them without food. They found this seed 3,000 years old and they've actually grabbed it and put it in the ground and it's grown. Think about it. Who does that? Does that? Only God can create a life. Because science has learned how to make a seed but cannot reproduce life. Only God does that. That is, that is his department. No farmer, no scientist, no philosopher can clearly explain how an apparent dead, dormant seed can produce life when buried in a soil. That is the work of God. And it goes back when? 
all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, doesn't it? Genesis 1, there is a formula. And God blessed it. So we have it. And now we recall the, the words of Jesus when we started our series in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Uh, from Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Uh, in other words, the, the kingdom of God does not come by careful scrutiny and, and watching and, and measuring and getting your tapes out and the stuff that we are accustomed to do, that we like to do. Because what happens is that if you're relying on your, on your measuring, on the way that you measure things, you will give in to hopelessness. Many people look at the church today and it appears that nothing is happening. But Jesus is going to say to us, well, you can't measure it that way. All your measuring sticks, all the yards, everything you're using, it just doesn't work like that. The forces of life in the soil must react with the forces of life in the seed. And without us, him, realising it, things happen. And sure enough, the farmer gets up one morning and finds green shoots sticking up here and there, everywhere. And Jesus said that the growth of the kingdom can be detected in stages. First the stalk, then the ear, and the full grain in the ear. From one day to the next, perhaps we don't see change in people's lives. Maybe even from year to year, we don't see a lot of change. It may be even in our own lives, let alone in other people's lives. Yet there are times when you can see something that's happened. You haven't seen somebody since youth group for 10, 20 years, and suddenly, is that? Yeah? Yeah. I'm. My family and I, we're worshipping this church. We love God. I mean, we, you know, we're preparing, you know, for ministry or the mission field, whatever it is. It's, man, you, I remember you used to be the most rebellious little grunt in, in, in youth group, you know. What happened? God, that's what happened. That's what happened. I told you the story of, you know, one of my colleagues, he's a colleague now, you know, I wanted to grab this kid and just, in youth group, and now he's a pastor, saying, what happened? God, that's what happened. See, All of this is God's doing and he alone can produce it. A pastor served the country church for many years. 
He faithfully preached the word of God. He regularly visited and witnessed into the community. Uh, His ministry in that church spanned many years, but there was very little fruit, very, very few conversions. Eventually, the old preacher died. And he went to his death. He died, convinced that his ministry in the little country church had been a failure. He was measuring human measuring sticks, right? A while later, the church called a new pastor. It tends to happen when old pastors die. Just move on. And suddenly with this new, part, new pastor, people started to get saved. In fact, a revival broke out and many of the people in that community came to know the Lord. And as they testified about their experiences, they asked them, how did you come to know the Lord and all of this? One new convert after another testified and said that it was the faithful ministry of the old preacher that God had used to awaken them to their need of a saviour. And the old man went to his grave not seeing the fruits of his labour. But there will be a place where he will see his fruit, right? In heaven. And the outcome. The outcome. And in verse 29, as soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. The harvest is the end game. It is the ultimate expectation and hope when you sow the seed. The seed has been grown, has been sown and has grown for a purpose. The seed, the planting, it's, 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 it's not just so that the farmer, when he gets out of his veranda, he looks and he says, oh, how beautiful that is. It's so green. I'm going to put that on Facebook. Look how beautiful my garden is. That is the purpose, right? No. The purpose is the harvest. All that green that you see is going to turn yellow and then we're going to cut it all up. It's going to look horrible for a while and then we start again. And the harvest is ready not when the farmer gives the go-ahead but when the crop permits it. Then and only then the farmer takes his sickle and begins to harvest the crop. In the same way, the kingdom of God that has been sown in the world and your life and mine has grown and it will be harvested in due course. There is a harvest coming. And God's aim is that there be a harvest, first in the church and finally, of course, on judgment day final consummation, the kingdom of God. There is an end game. Also, the harvest is intended to make possible a continued sowing later. Yes, the farmer reaps his crops so that he and his family may live from it, to have food on the table. But he also does it in order that he may plant some seeds. So what he does is he keeps about, I don't know, about 10% of the harvest he will keep as seeds for next year. 
He will store it and then he will go and plant it next time. This is the way that the original seed multiplies and increases from one season to the next. Having said that, I think a lot of us are constantly trying to produce harvests in our own lives and in our churches which simply aren't there. You want to reap a crop that is still green, is not yet time for the harvest. We want to see results so badly that we're impatient with the process of sowing and waiting and waiting and waiting for God to work. What we want is instant salvation, instant growth, instant maturity. This is the cry of the age in which we live, isn't it? You simply, you read this book and you watch that and you follow that model and, and you, what you do is you, these are the steps. Step one, step two, step three, these are the instant formulas. Just put a bit of water, stir, and away you go. The church has grown. The Apostle Paul found out that he had to wait on God for the harvest. This is what he wrote to the Romans in Romans 1.13. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned, this is him planning, I planned many times to come to you. And then in brackets it says, but have been prevented from doing so until now. Who prevented him? It was God. Yeah, God saying, hold your horses, Paul. Not going to happen yet. In order, what did he want to do? He says, in order that I might have a, a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. We want to see growth in God's kingdom today. Yes. And we want to, and we want the leaders who can produce it. Because they're the ones that have the anointing. That one doesn't have it and that one does. So go to that one. We admire those pastors who can make things happen. Because we want instant results. Consequently, the line separating what God does and what we do between God's sovereignty and human responsibility is, is blurred. And sadly, what is happening... In church is that the, method, the methods, the same methods used in businesses and marketing is applied to the church. The marketing business principles are used with demographic surveys to fine-tune the method which will be more appealing when the gospel is presented. So we're going to do away with certain biblical words can't talk about sin, can't talk about repentance, can't talk about hell. No, 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 those words are too offensive. Because they say unbelievers are put off by those words and they're put off by Bible reading and exposition. And so many sermons today are 
no longer just powerful expositions of the Word of God. More like advice, suggestions to help you in your psychological, financial, in your career, with all your relationship problems. So from the pulpit, we're giving this advice. Well, why don't you just stay home and listen to Oprah, you know? Or Ellen or any of those. Just, there's plenty of videos for that stuff. Just follow that. If that's what you want, if that's what you need. All these changes have been made to grow the church. But I tell you what, a few years down the track and you can see the disastrous results. People just moving from here to there to there, whoever's, you know, uh, you know, itchy ears. What is the outcome? We need to follow God's instructions to mature as Christians. Just as we cannot force the natural process, we cannot force the spiritual process. Like a farmer, we must wait for God's time with patience. Must allow the seed to bring itself to harvest as God has arranged it and not try to reap up phony harvests before time. In Philippians, let me conclude with this. Philippians 1.6. I was going to finish with another verse, but I've changed it to this one. Philippians 1.6. I love this verse. It says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he who planted the seed, right? he who been sovereign over the whole process will do what? He will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Until that day, that final day, the harvest. But God promises that once his seed is sown in your heart, all the stuff that is happening, all the sowing in pain, all the reaping in joy, all the endurance between that moment and that moment, it will be all brought together, gathered up and brought to completion for his glory. And that is the outcome. That is the harvest of the kingdom. Praise be to God.